0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And as you're doing that, when you came and sat down today, you would have been aware that uh, there would be a vision booklet and a vision card that would be on your chair with a pen. At the end of the service, end of uh, my message, we're going to have an opportunity to take a moment to pause and pray and, and fill in the details on that card. And then we're going to be taking up a collective corporate vision offering. Uh, this is something we do every year, we're unapologetic about it, uh, we do it across every location. And the vision offering goes to the fulfillment of the vision that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And we'd really ask that uh, if you're not familiar with that, whilst I'll recap elements of it, uh, you'll need to go back to our YouTube channel or podcast and listen to all the things that we've been talking about over the last four weeks. Because um, it's been a really significant time of rebuilding momentum for Newman Church coming out of the last two years of COVID and casting vision for all that God has for us in the future and uh, we will be taking up our uh, vision offering uh, over the next couple of weeks, giving you an opportunity to fill the card in, put details there and put that in the offering as we give to this year's vision. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about giving, not talking about tithing, 10% of your income, it's talking about offerings and giving. And the Bible says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures and by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Many of you who've traveled through Europe would notice the incredible architecture that has been built when it comes to church buildings and particular cathedrals. And I've ministered many times throughout Europe and had the privilege of speaking in lots of different conferences and churches and events. And uh, it's amazing to see the amount of effort, energy and resources that's been invested into these cathedrals. What's sad is that many of them are now empty and are just tourist destinations and are not really bringing transformation as they once did. One of the cathedrals in Ulm, Germany took Over 500 years to build. Um, The average timeline that it takes to build a cathedral uh, from the medieval age is about 250 to 300 years. Uh, I visited Notre Dame in Paris and it took about 100 years to build Notre Dame. It took about a day for it to be burnt down and uh, they're rebuilding it presently. But needless to say that these hundreds of years represent multiple generations Of people, local residents, in fact that 500 year build were all resourced by local residents in that village. Which meant that they caught a vision beyond themselves. They caught a multi-generational vision of what they could be a part of, of what their children's children, children and beyond could be a part of and see. And so they sowed generously and sacrificially. Uh, McCrindle Research, which highlights a number of trends and stats currently in Australia, says that over 60% of Aussies right now are what we call revenge spending based upon the last two years of COVID. You you might have contributed to that. Uh, I know I certainly have. Um, But uh, there, there is this sense that when it comes to this idea of revenge spending, that it's essentially impulsive and very focused on immediate gratification. In other words, we're not thinking beyond ourselves, we're just impulsively responding to what is in front of us. And nearly a hundred years ago, a generation of believers here at Newman Church gave sacrificially for us to be here today. The reality is we wouldn't be in this facility, our locations wouldn't have what they have if someone in a generation before us hadn't sacrificially gotten over themselves and beyond themselves and been a part of a vision that God had to change people's lives, not just for their generation, but for years to come. And so over the last four weeks, we've actually been hearing and seeing God's vision for Numa Church for 2022 and beyond, and we've been unpacking and talking about that. And it's a vision that's not just about now and today and us, it's a vision that is about coming generations. It's one of the reasons why we've invested resource as the church has sacrificially given in past seasons, we've invested resource to refurb and renovate our kids' ministry facilities where in about three or four weeks, we'll be able to open that to over 200 children and families that will be a part of that because we're trying to think beyond ourselves to the coming generations of what God wants to do in the city of Melbourne, here in Richmond and beyond. And so... In the first Sunday at the start of February, we talked about vision and we talked about how God has called us to plant 200 new churches across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. If you don't know, we're a church that's already in multiple locations, indirectly or directly this church has planted hundreds if not thousands of churches over the last hundred years and God is calling us in this season to play our part for the seeding of coming generations of churches all around the world. This year in particular, we are committed to owning uh, the planting of Numa San Francisco. And we've casted vision for that. You say, well, why on earth would you put a church in San Francisco? Don't they already have a number of churches? But less than 10% of people in that part of California attend a church. It's been a church graveyard, a church plant graveyard. And whilst we don't want to speak over that for its future, it's definitely been its reality in its present and past And there are massive cultural issues. In fact, the greatest need for evangelization is in Western nations right now, not just in developing countries, of which we're doing a whole lot of work supporting our global mission partners. And so as we give this year, we're not just giving to the work that we're doing in developing nations through Disciple the Nations because that too is an equal part of our vision. We're also giving to the planting of a new work that is going to transform people's lives that desperately need it. We've looked at our mission, we looked at Disciple the Nations on the second week, where our mission is to advance God's kingdom across the nations. We heard interviews and testimonies, Pastor Rob, our, our DTN uh, oversight and pastor actually facilitated that, where we rec- recognise God's heart again for people that are desperately in need on the other side of the world. Last week, we talked about kingdom culture. We talked about our seven core values. What defines what's important to us? How we operate, how we behave as a church. That it's not behavior modification, but it begins in our hearts. And so we've looked at all these things and now today is our Commitment Sunday. It's where annually we take up a vision offering. Last year over $1.5 million. This year we're believing for over 1.7 to be given to the vision needs. And so we are sacrificially coming together as a church family like you do as a family. And you say, okay, we're all going to own this. We're all going to take a step of faith and we're all going to give generously to be a part of God's vision for our church in this coming year, Habakkuk 2:3 says this: "For still the vision awaits its appointed time; it hastens to the end; it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it; it will surely come; it will not delay." Now it's true, vision takes time. Anyone who's ever had a goal for their business, their marriage, their relationships, uh, for their fitness, their health will know it takes time. But history records that too often God's vision gets delayed beyond its appointed time as God intends because of a lack of resource. In the Bible we have evidence of this when 12 spies were sent out on behalf of the nation of Israel to go to the promised land, to spy out the land, to capture a vision of what God was wanting to do and where to take Israel. 10 spies returned back more impressed with the problem than the promise. Two spies returned with faith, with expectation in the promises of God. And what should have taken 11 days journey ended up being 40 years in the wilderness. The vision was delayed beyond its appointed time because there was a lack of faith. With every promise of God, just know in your life there will always be a problem you're going to have to overcome. And particularly when it comes to vision. The moment you receive vision from God, there will be a gap between the vision God gives to you And the provision, you need to fulfill it. There will always be a gap. And many visions don't get realized is because we become so enamored with the lack or the gap that we don't realize that God has a solution. He has provision. And part of that provision is through us. We often want the provision before we act on the vision. Because it's safe. We want to feel safe. We want to feel in control. And yet Habakkuk 2.4 says the righteous live by faith. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's by faith. It's not by rules and regulations. It's in the context of a relationship. That we read the word, we study it, which is God's heart, God's mind, God's intention, God's truth for us. And we are following Jesus in this active, empowering relationship through the person of the Holy Spirit. And we step out in faith at the leading and promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we watch God use us and use others to fulfill his highest purposes for our lives. There will always be a gap between the vision and provision. That is to teach us dependence upon Him. It's not by your might, it's not by my power, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And so we need to understand that God wants us to recognize He is our source, not that we are our source. We live in a culture that prides itself on, I earned it, I worked for it, I studied for it, therefore I dictate what happens to it. But you need to understand the breath in your lungs, the intelligence in your mind, the skills that you apply in your workplace, the resources that are in your hand are a gift from heaven. They're a gift from God. And God has called us to be stewards and not owners because have you discovered anyone who's ever lost a loved one, you can't take your stuff with you. When I watched my mother breathe her last breath at 59 years of age, six years ago this year, on Mother's Day weekend, I was reminded again, you cannot take anything with you. We're called to be stewards of this lifetime and of the resources and gifts and abilities God has given to us to make a difference for all eternity. And so we need to think a little bit differently about resource if we're going to be a part of God's eternal solution. You see, when I was a church planner, uh, my wife and I, we planted a church many years ago. And we led that for seven years. In those first few years, we needed $100,000 to fit out a part of the facility. When I asked God for provision, God asked me to take a step of faith. In fact, 1,172 kilometers steps of faith. And I ran from Sydney to Melbourne to raise the money. When we started, there was no money. When we finished two weeks later, there was $160,000 because when we ask God for something, God asks us to trust him and take a step of faith. Faith takes the first step of obedience and God rewards faith with more than what we expected. Because the principles and laws of the kingdom are different to the logic of this natural world. So what is the gap between God's vision for you and the provision that you need for what he is that he's calling you to? Because the only way that that gap is going to be fulfilled and the same in the life of the church is faith-filled generosity. Matthew 6.26, Jesus speaking about resource and not worrying about our practical needs says this, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, here's the promise. God provides for the birds of the air. So the principle is that will he not provide for you? But here's the deal. He doesn't hand deliver twigs and worms to the, nests in their, uh, to the birds in their nests. He doesn't hand deliver them, does he? The birds have got to go get the twigs and the birds have got to go dig for the the worms because there is no such thing as menu log God or Uber Eats God. Last night my wife was at a wedding and I flew in late from ministering in Brisbane on Friday night and uh, I'm there at home and, and like, kids, what do you want to eat? And very quickly, it became apparent that Uber Eats, thank you, Jesus, was bringing Mexican uh, to our door. And so the dude turns up after, thankfully, he was on time this time. Have you discovered you could be waiting a long time for your food? And so 35 minutes later, the food showed up, amazing. And we live in this such instant culture that we think the God of the universe is like menu log or Uber Eats God. He's just going to hand deliver everything to your door. And the reality is God put Adam in the garden, yes, because he wanted that garden to produce fruit. But he said, I put you there to work it, to cultivate it, to partner with me to see fruit be produced through your life. It's so important that we understand that whatever God purposes He does provide for, but it's through our faith, our generosity, and our sacrifice. The resource we give is the fuel that moves vision from imagination in our spirits to reality. So here we have the Apostle Paul. He's aware of a need that's in Jerusalem, The Christians are suffering under persecution. There is a famine that's in the land. And Paul's writing to a wealthy church. He's writing to a church in Corinth and he says, I'm going to teach you about the heart of God as it applies to giving. I'm going to teach you about his nature. I'm going to teach you about the principles of giving and the ministry of giving as it applies to the kingdom of God. And he unpacks in 2 Corinthians 8 some of the most powerful ideas about giving that can actually transform our own lives and he begins by saying what you sow is what you reap he says in verse 6 whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully it's so important we understand that giving like preaching like leadership like you in your workplace giving is a ministry And it's governed under God's spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Genesis 8.22 speaks about this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. So God has designed in the natural world, in creation, and in the spiritual world, to operate on the principle of seed time and harvest. Giving... Paul is saying, isn't like sowing seed. Giving is actually sowing seed into something. And unless a seed is sown, it has no power to reproduce. If the seed just remains in the packet or in your hand, but it's not scattered, it can't reproduce any harvest. That's why when they... Found Pharaoh's tomb there were 3,000 year old seeds barren and lifeless in the tomb but when they took those same seeds and they planted them in the soil beside the river Nile they began to produce a harvest of fruitfulness wow. why because every seed has the DNA of harvest built into it yeah. but until it is sown in the soil it won't produce fruit the measure and quality of seed you sow will determine the measure and quality of harvest yeah. you reap. Yeah. Now, no one here today in their logical minds would plant pumpkin seeds and expect to reap an orchard of apple trees. No one's out there in that backyard some, you know, put let's put some pumpkin seeds out there and then they're looking for the apple orchard the next week. No one does that in the natural. But why is it that we live in a generation that sows lust but wants to reap love? Can I preach today? Is that all right? Why is it that we are living a generation that wants to sow laziness but reap promotion? We want to sow stingy but reap generous abundance. Where do we get that idea from? It's because we disconnect from even the way that God's designed creation. Do you know creation itself speaks of the gospel? of who God is and what God has done. And yet we we logically and scientifically understand that in the natural. Why don't we understand that in the spiritual? And so we've got to understand that the harvest you reap is determined by the seed you sow. That applies as much to relationships and and it applies as much to your work and church life as it does to finance. Paul goes on and he says, giving is a hard issue, it's not a money issue. He says in verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Now you need to know today, we're not a cult that compulsively tells people when it comes to offerings and, and giving, uh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. No, it's the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You, you, you come and, and obviously God has given us a principle, of the tithe in his word, but when it comes to our offering, you you that's a matter of your heart before God okay why because God is supremely interested in the spiritual health of your heart yeah. that's why he says guard your heart Proverbs four twenty-three. for out of it flow the springs and the issues of life okay everything in your life begins in your heart out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks yeah. So nowhere is our spiritual health more revealed than in how we steward or don't steward finance. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many believers give enough to ease their conscience, but are not, not enough to transform their hearts. So we'll tip God and we'll do the bare minimum to sort of feel good about ourselves but our hearts aren't actually transformed and the purpose of giving isn't just about meeting a need or fulfilling a vision it's about becoming more like Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I, this came home for me uh, many years ago uh, when I was traveling around ministering at a particular church on faith and one of the applications of my message was around giving. And as I'm there at the uh, altar call, or I'm on the platform, I'm inviting people to come down the front and people are coming and and they're surrendering their life, presenting their body as a living sacrifice and uh, going to give everything away to follow Jesus. And the Lord says to me, answer your own altar call. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, hop off the platform and answer your own altar call. And I'm like, hang on a second, like I'm leading this and they're expecting and waiting for me to, to lead them and do, not answer, yes sir. So I hop down and I answer my own altar call and I'm standing there waiting for God to speak and he says, now go sell your bike, my bicycle, uh, and, and take the money and give it to this person. And I said, not today Satan, I'm telling you, not today. Why? Because I like riding my bike and it's worth $12,000. And I save up money to buy that. And and it's a really good bike. And I go faster than everyone else on it. So I don't want to sell it. And so I'm like, no, Lord, give me another word. And, And he didn't have another word. Have you ever asked God for a word and he gives you a word and you don't like that word? So you want to exchange it for the other persons who got the prophetic word that you want? Blessing and prosperity will be upon your life. Why can't I get a word like that? No, go sell your bike and give the money to the. And I'm thinking, this dude doesn't even need my money. Why the heck am I giving that to him? I should give it to this person in need. And he's like, sell your bike and give the money to that person. Do you know I wrestled in my heart over that for six weeks? I'm such a rebellious pastor. (laughs) I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. And finally, I'm like, okay. And so I go and I sell the bike. And when I sold the bike, the dude's like, this thing could take six months. I'm like, yeah, it will. And, but in my heart, I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> Three days, that thing was sold. When God's on something, he's on something. Yeah. I, walked, I drove over to the person's house. I walked to the front door, explained myself, gave him the cash. Do you know something in my heart changed that day? Because I was reminded, God wasn't after the cash. He wasn't after the bike. He was after my heart. He was after something in my heart. And he he said, good, now that you've done that, there's more room in your heart for me to bless you with what I want to do in your life, with what I want to do in your ministry. You see, there are three levels of giving. The first level is the tithe. We don't give the tithe, 10% of our income. We bring it as an act of obedience. It's not yours or mine, it's God's. And so ABC, kindergarten level giving is 10% of all your increase. You just honor God and you do that. And I've discovered he's more than faithful to look after you with 90%. Second level of giving is offerings. This is where we give over and above our tithe as the spirit leads, particularly when at the third level of giving, extravagant sacrificial giving, which characterizes a day like today, which is where we are led by the Spirit to give over and above uh, to the work of His house and to fulfill need and vision. Now, you need to know that there are like phases that you go through when you give extravagant offerings, and all of it can feel a little bit like the grief process. Okay? The first level uh, or first phase is um, you hear the word of the Lord. You hear God, you've been praying, you're prompted, you look at your finances. And you, you try and negotiate with God, but you hear it, right? And then there's maybe some excitement about that. Wow, it's going to, you know, be a blessing and meet someone's need. But then immediately logic kicks in and you go to fear and you start to go, hang on a sec. Well, that's going to mean this and that's going to mean that in the natural as it looks on paper, Right? And then you come back. But what did God say? And you come back to the original word and faith returns. And hopefully in the midst of the doubt, they're, they're like, it's a bit, a little bit like the father. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And so you respond with faith and then the rest is history because you see the testimonies of God just begin to break out in your life. God desires all of our giving from, to be from a place of delight, not duty. Really yeah. Not I have to, but I get to be a part of this. Yeah. That's why he says he loves a cheerful giver. I've never, never met a cheerful, dutiful giver. Yeah. It's more like, oh, okay, you know, I feel this pressure. And and, and there, there isn't any. It's just the Holy Spirit speaking to people. Yeah. Yeah, right. And And it's like... He, you know what the word cheerful means? It actually means hilarious. In other words, as you're giving, you're like, ha, ha, and you're giving it away because you're freaking out, right? But, but you love, God loves a cheerful, joy-filled, hilarious giver. There is something about it that God's just attracted to. He's drawn to and he says, you gave that. Even the widow who gave little gave more than all of the wealthy business owners and Pharisees gave because she gave out of a joy-filled, cheerful heart. The attitude you give with really matters in the kingdom of God. Paul goes on. God's grace is given to us so we may graciously give to others. He says in verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, At all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, think about this. When God gave us Jesus, he didn't give us some of his divine unmerited favor. He didn't look for an angel with a mangy wing who needed some repairs and said, okay, that'll do. He went and looked for his very best and he said, I'm going to give my son. That's it. And this text says he doesn't give us some of his grace or some sufficiency yeah. at some times in some things. He says, I give all grace. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All sufficiency. Yeah. 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 In all things, yeah. at all times. Yeah. There is not an insurance company, there is not a bank, there is not an organisation that can guarantee that. But God says, I am able. You've got to let that revelation get into your spirit. I am able. As you respond in generous partnership, I am able to extend all grace to you. And we know this because it says in verse 9, He has distributed freely, He's given to the poor. What has He given to us? Jesus. Freely you have received, so freely give. Now, we often look at grace through a very individualized filter because we live in a very self-centered world. And so we apply grace to ourselves and it's about our life, our relationships, our money. We live with ourselves, so we often apply it to ourselves. Yet the reality is God wants his grace in our life to not be contained like a dam or a reservoir, but to be like a channel and a river that flows through us into other people's lives. The sufficiency of God's grace isn't just meant for us, it's meant for those that God has called us to actually make a difference in the life of. God's all sufficient grace has been given so that we may abound in every good work. Paul goes on God blesses us with seed so that we can bless others with harvest. Says in verse 10, He who supplies seed to who? The sower. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, God says, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, notice who God gives seed to. Stay with me. Notice who God gives seed to. He gives seed to the sower. If the sower doesn't sow, there's no need for seed. So the principle is is that if God can get it through you, he can get it to you. Many people are worried about trying to get it to them. They're not worried or focused on getting it through them. And I've just learned if you'll be an open channel and river of God's blessing where he can get it through you, the, the, the to you takes care of itself. He gives seed to the sower, not the one who is just self focused this principle plays out in creation. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus was hungry. We tend to not really identify with um, Jesus' humanity in the Gospels, because we sort of look at him like a Marvel's Avengers character, who's sort of superhuman, supernatural, and whilst obviously supernatural, and he is the Son of God, he, he's, he's also fully and properly God, but also fully and properly man. His humanity was on display when he was on the earth. So Jesus is hungry. And so He's looking for a cafe and the the only cafe that was there was Fig Tree Cafe. And he goes, okay, I want to go and and, and partake of the nectar of the gods and and latte. And uh, I want to eat a snack from Fig Tree Cafe. So he goes to the fig tree and he discovers something that doesn't make sense, a paradox. This fig tree is in leaf. It looks like it should be producing fruit, but there's no fruit on it. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets hangry. Hey, how many of us have discovered you're not yourself when you're hungry, right? And so Jesus rebukes the fig tree and the disciples are like, Jesus, like, you, you know, just grab a Snickers bar for goodness sake. You know, just get an oak, kill hungry, thirsty dead. Just, just do something, Jesus, that don't curse the fig tree, the poor fig tree. You created it and, and they didn't understand the spiritual principle behind it. They returned the next day and the fig tree had withered to its roots. Yeah. What's going on here? Was Jesus just, you know, really mad because he hadn't eaten? Or was there a bigger principle in mind? Obviously a bigger principle in mind. The fig tree was receiving life, but it wasn't passing life on. And if there is something that is contrary to the nature of God, it's receiving, but not freely giving. That fig tree was designed to produce fruit, and it wasn't. So God is like, you know what? We need to actually take from what is just being serving oneself and give to somebody else. This is the principle that we see. If we just bury our talent, we bury that thing, and we don't pass on what God has given to us, we're actually taking away from the creative kingdom cycle of fruitfulness that God has brought not just into creation, but into our lives. The key to avoiding lack in life, keep passing on what God has given to you. Even people who are unbelievers get this in the corporate world. In the corporate sector, they understand, let's find a charity, let's find a not-for-profit, let's find a cause that we can give to, because they understand the principle of generosity. How much more the people of God? And as we keep sowing seed, God promises and says, you'll be enriched in every way. I'll provide for your needs. And one of the greatest lessons I've learned about giving is to actually sow in my lack and not to wait until I have much. Because often we think when I get much, when more, I'll be able to sow. But have many of you discovered it's actually harder sometimes when you got more. If you're not observing the principle, with little. So Bob had a problem with tithing. He was earning $5,000 a week. And he came to his pastor and said, Pastor, can you pray for me? I, I've got, I, I, it's a big deal for me to tithe $500 a week. I mean, it's a lot of money. And he's like, can you pray for me? And the pastor's like, yeah, sure. Uh, Father, would you please reduce Bob's income to $50 a week so he can learn the principle of tithing? What do we teach our kids? All right, you've been given $20. The first tithe goes to God. And with 18, you can do whatever you want to do within reason. You can do whatever you want to do. Why? Because we're setting up, a kingdom mindset that is going to stay with them into their adult years. But if we've never learned that, then how will you be faithful with more if you're not being faithful with the little? If you want to reap a harvest tomorrow, you've got to sow a seed today. Don't put off until tomorrow what God has asked you to do today. And often we live in this mindset that says, well, I worked for it, I studied for it. God didn't sit the exams, I did. And, and I, I went through the job interview process and I worked really hard for this. So like, I'm the person who got all this, I should therefore decide what I do with it. And God has an answer in his word like he does for everything. Deuteronomy 8, 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have got me this wealth. What's the solution? You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant. In other words, God's coming and saying, I'm your source, not you. Your breath, your intelligence, your skills, your aptitude, your financial stewardship, all of that is God-given. And and at the end of the day, I gave all of that to you so that my covenant of reconciling a broken world to myself would be fulfilled. You see, what generosity does, it reveals the Father's generous heart to a self-centered world. My daughter Chelsea is doing driving lessons at the moment, so pray for me. And um, she's actually a really good driver, but she was talking about the instructor would say to her, check your blind spots. Has anyone ever been on a receiving end of someone, a driver in front of them or next to them not checking their blind spots? Don't tell me what you said. All right. Um, We... We've all been in that position where we've had to avoid a collision or a car crash. We've had to brake suddenly or speed up or do something to avoid. Do you know selfishness is like a blind spot that actually stops you from seeing God's vision for your life and for His purposes for the earth? Selfishness is poison to our hearts. It, it, It causes strife in church life, it breaks relationships. It reproduces brokenness in multiple generations. It withholds from people. Selfishness only ever gives to others if and when anything is left over for self. And nothing is more opposed to the heart of God than self-centeredness. But nothing is more aligned with God's nature and heart than when you and I give generously and unselfishly to the cause of the kingdom of God. You see... Fulfilling God's vision to, for a reconciled world requires us to live bigger than ourselves. God said through Jesus in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There is never any reason to doubt of God's love for us because he's given us his very best. And Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son he who did not withhold his own son from us, how will he not also give us all things? And so today on this Vision Offering Sunday, I don't want us to just learn some principles about giving, but I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts about our whole approach to resource and to understand on this Commitment Sunday, we've all been invited in and called in to the radical adventure of extending God's kingdom across the earth. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God.